You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is world traveler, good friend, and all-around wild man, Seamus Warnock. In this first segment, he'll be talking about his adventures from running with the bulls of Pamplona to drinking fermented mare's milk in Mongolia with a healthy dose of wisdom and humor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. It's awesome and a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for this because there's so many things we're going to ask you today. And there are going to be some incredible answers that people are going to want to hear. They're probably all true. Most of them are probably. Well, you know what it is, is, um, you know, Satch, you and I know what we love about Seamus and always learning more about that, of course, because it's a lifelong friendship. But people who listen don't necessarily understand that. And what I hope for this show is my, my intent for this show is to kind of open the door, crack the door on that and just... Um, allow people to get a little glimpse of the uniqueness and the specialness, which is Seamus. Yeah, I think so too. And awesome. uh, I mean, I, I've known Seamus for years and I'm always hearing stories that he has to tell that I hadn't heard yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I've known you for years and yet I'm hearing all these stories I've never heard. Mm. So we're probably going to hear more stories tonight that I've never heard. Satch, do you really think I'm wild, like a wild man? Yeah, a little bit. You're, Why do you think that? That comes up a lot. It does well. It's. I think it's. A, it's a compliment. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Like. I'm not saying that I'm not taking it in a positive way or oh, a negative yeah, way. Sure, I'm wondering sure. why you say it. Why do I say that Seamus Warnock is a wild man? Like a wild card. Am I a wild card or a wild man? Ah, oh, you're a wild man. But you're. You to me. You're. You're. You're a true man. You're a man's man. Yet. You know. You're a sensitive guy. And you know. What I think is so fascinating about you is you go for it. You know, if there's one person I know who mm. goes for it, you're the guy who goes for okay. it. We're yeah, like, true. that's why you've had dreadlocks and that's why you have lived all over Asia. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have almost died from dysentery. How many times? I don't know. I don't know either. Too you many. Know? So yeah, that, those Way are wild man things to me, you know, and, uh, and I love it. I love it. So, uh, let's ask some questions. Seamus is the most world-traveled, oh, world-traveler yeah. I think I've ever known. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, Seamus, what do you enjoy most about traveling? Ah, it's the art form that is available to everyone. Not every person can sculpt or paint or play music, but everybody can travel. It's so easy to do, but and that's what makes it an art, because this is just total expression. You get to go to all these different places and see all these different things. And just have it be, wow, just, you know, paint, paint your mind, new experience. So that's why I travel because it is, it, to me, it's my greatest art. It's the best art that I can do. What was one of those, um, mind painting experiences that you had and where were you? They, they happen daily. They happen as soon as you open that front door, like any, any time when you're (laughs) in a foreign country and you open that door to leave the place that you slept, it is just 
mind-blowing. Recently, when I was in Pamplona, I opened the door and there were a bunch of people wearing white clothes with wine spilled all over them, um, drinking and having a really good time. It's just, a, it's just, it's like the magical portal like you see in the movies. What were you doing in Pamplona? I was running with the bulls. Nice. Running with the bulls in Pamplona. What possessed you to do such a thing, my friend? The romanticism of the adventure is the, what I like to call it, all the Hemingways and the Fitzgeralds and all that sort of stuff. Love to read those kind of things. And it was just like, woo. And um, Dr. Bombay. Dr. Bombay. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dr. Bombay also. <laughs> because he was the coolest guy on Bewitched. Yeah. He would just, oh, we need help for calling Dr. Bombay. And it was always, bing. And he was always wearing some kind of, you know, clothes. Like an indigenous Yeah, like an outfit indigenous. Like, you know, so he's wearing the, the Pamplona, you know, the, the red beret, the, you know, the scarf around, the red scarf, the white shirt, the red sash, the white pants. And uh, I was running with the bulls of Pamplona when I heard your call of distress and, you know, Kilimanjaro. I was doing this. I was, I was kayaking down the Amazon jungle, you know, that sort of stuff. He's based on the early 19th century or not 19th century, 1900s literature of Hemingway mm. and things like that. Oh. So, Dr. And I got Bombay. to do that in, Pom- in Pamplona. He's a great character. Yeah. So uh, I have a practical question about the running with the bulls. Okay. How far are you actually running? Because it seems when you watch video clips that it's like miles and miles and miles, but I don't think yeah. it is, is it? Like how, how, how far are like you running? Like from start, from the corral to the bull ring? Yeah, yeah. Like how far is that? It's really not very far. But I mean, there's, there's, a, there's an incline, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then of course the decline, and then there's dead man's corner, and then there's the... Gee, why do they call it that, Shannon? <laughs> <Yes>. Because <laughs> what happens is, is when you release the bulls from the corral... They run up a hill, okay? And when they get to the top of the hill, they slightly turn, and then, of course, what goes up must come down. So they come down, and then right at Dead Man's Corner is a 90-degree turn. So if you're an 800 to 1,000-pound four-legged creature running downhill, it's kind of hard to make that 90 degrees. So that's where a lot of spills and accidents and crashes and mm-hmm. all kinds of fun, enjoyable stuff. The second day we were there, um, the bulls are only dangerous when they're by themselves. That's why they run them in the pack. Mm-hmm. And it's why it's relatively safe for you to run with them because they just see you as part of the pack. Oh. The problem is, is you can't run 30 miles an hour, so they just trample you. Mm-hmm. But if you're off to the side, they don't care at all. So on the second day... A bull got separated, and most bull runs actually last two minutes, but this one lasted five, because right there at Dead Man's Corner, he started tossing human beings <laughs> and Ooh. running them over and stomping on them. And he was flinging them with and his flinging horns? them or? with his horns and tossing them in the air and things, and all the fun Ooh. things that you would imagine. And so what they do is they release six bulls and three steers, and then a minute or two later, they release three more steers. In case, like what happened with the second day run, the bull was by himself, the other bulls, the steers came, and then he was, again, part of the herd, and then they all run. But I have saw four bull, eight-person pile-ups. Wow. Just like laying, like wow. a bull laying on top of you. <laughs> I wow. heard that if you do it with cows, um, it doesn't cost you anything, but if you do it with bulls, they charge you. Yes, bulls charge. 
<laughs> every time. Sorry, I had to do it. So, uh, 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 so, so what happened with uh, you got gored in the leg, didn't you? By did. by, by a bullhorn. What, what, what the heck happened? Well, um, like I said, bull running is actually relatively safe. It is. It's the oddest experience that I've had because it's relatively like it's the least dangerous thing I've actually done, but it seems to be one of the most amazed by other human beings. Wow, you ran with bulls. Mm. But yeah, but like I've jumped off a cliff in Nepal and paraglided for hours. And like, that's extremely dangerous. This was a, f- a brief flash. Mm. Uh, you know, it's relatively safe. So, and that's a relative term also. Okay. It's relatively safe, relatively <laughs> that you're running with a bull. But um, what happens is, and this is something I didn't know, um, because I don't really like, I like to do a lot of homework, but not enough to actually skew my experience because I want the experience as raw as was. But at the end of every bull run, if you make it into the arena, they close the door and then they release a bull into the arena. And um, I didn't know about this until the third day, but there I was in the arena with this bull and there's probably like maybe 150 people in there and the bull runs around and people... Um, you know, they do their own little bull fighting interaction with it. Um, a lot of people tossed and messed and hit and stuff. They, they, uh, they don't have the sharp points on the horns. So it's again, relatively safe, relatively running with a bull. Um, I saw one man run and jump and do a somersault off the back of this bull. And to me, that was true bullfighting. But, um, regardless of that, I was in the, um, arena on the third day. And I was like, hey, this is relatively safe. So on the last day, I wanted to get some footage. So I went back there. I was by myself, too. My friend was not feeling very well, so he didn't want to run. And uh, so I'm standing off to the side just getting some raw footage. And all of a sudden, the major problem with the bull run is the human beings because you can't see. All of a sudden, the crowd opens up and there's a bull. And what are you going to do? (laughs) So I was actually... uh, Yeah, surprised. So I'm standing off to the side up on the platform, ready to jump over in case this bull actually comes by me, and he did. What he did is he hit the wall with his horn and just scraped all the humans off. And as he was coming at me, my, my butt was up against the, um, the wall. I pushed up using my hands backwards, so my feet kind of flung into the, into the center of the arena. And he stopped and turned, as far as I can tell, because this all happened in a flash, and lifted his head up and smacked me in the hamstring of my right leg and... My knee then collapsed into his skull, which, as you might well know, that is my knee's going to give because it's a skull of a bull. And then the most dangerous thing that I think, one of the most dangerous things that I've ever thought in my own mind was, I can't believe it, but his horn is actually climbing up my shorts. And I'm going to get my shorts stuck on his horn. Which isn't a good thing because you've actually seen, being in this arena, you've actually seen people get like their shirt caught on this and they get, flung. you know, flung and trampled and dragged for, my, you know, however, all the way around the arena and all this sort of stuff. So I'm thinking, but that was their shirt and that kind of like, that, that might fall off or something like that. But these are my pants and they're going to stay on until he flings me around and then flings me off out of my pants. So I'm <laughs> going to be the actual guy that you see... <laughs> That's going to be me. <laughs> Pantsless Seamus Pantsless Seamus being tossed around by a bull and flung into the center of the bull ring in Pamplona on the last day. 
Well, that didn't happen, thankfully, whatever spirit there might be in the world. And doesn't happen every weekend for you, Shane? Yeah, I mean, things like that happen often. <laughs> I mean, you wake up with your head sewn to the floor. But, you know, then I got, I got kicked over the wall, and I landed on the other side of the wall. And uh, I was really grateful for that. I don't know how it actually really happened, but the reason why I kind of know and piece together the story is I definitely felt the, the horn in my shorts, but the... My, the bruise factor and where things hurt in my body led me to conclude the other things. Nice big old fat bruise. I was actually looking at my wounds today thinking, oh, they're almost healed. Hmm. Had a lot of scrapes there too. I don't know what I scraped against. All this sort of stuff. I had no idea. There's some nice photographic evidence of everything he just said as well. Mm. He sent us a photo of, of the back of his leg, you know, this gnarly um, black and blue and, ye- and yellowish uh, raised kind of circular bruise. But you know what's funny? You know what he told me? What's that? He the best told me part. That, this is the that, best part. That, that, that he got, you know, gored in the, in the hamstring by a bull, and that actually cured this other long-term injury he's had it on his destroyed, hamstring. It destroyed the <laughs> scar tissues and the massive block of whatever energy or muscle problem or whatever it was. It literally, I would have liked the bull to actually hit me a little bit higher up, it would be a little more mm-hmm. insane, but I mean, maybe you can you know, start a thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like be arranged. You know? It's like <laughs> something bull, hurts in your body. Get it right. Get right yeah, over by bull. Rolfing. Bull rolfing. Yeah, there yeah. you go. You could start. I'm a thing. serious. My leg has not felt this good in years. Wow. It literally. Everybody should get gored by a bull. It literally destroyed the blockage there, and I mean, I'm slowly taking, you know, physical therapy on my own mm-hmm. to not re-injure it or any of that sort of stuff. So I take it slow. <laughs> But I really think that I, that injury, the trauma, the blunt force trauma that destroyed that injury, if I can bring my leg back up to healing level. Yeah. Because it's so, it's been years and years and years, and we all know what that feels like. Yeah. Well, good job. Well, you know, I mean, you know, inflammation well, triggers healing, so there you go. You yeah, know? the massive yeah. trauma. Who'd have thunk it? I have a question for you about something that you learned abroad that you think you really couldn't have learned here? There's two things basically that I've learned about the world in general and life, uh, living and traveling abroad and being in other places and other things. First of all, that human beings are actually really good people. It doesn't matter where you go or what you do, you can always find, because most people are just good. It's just the way that it is. There's a there's just way more many positive people on this planet. Even in the third world countries and stuff like that, like these people just have like nothing but they're helpful. The other thing that I've learned, things are totally arbitrary. This whole world is full of like why does a why do the British drive on that side of the road and why do we drive on this side of the road? Well, there's reasons for it, but is there really a reason? Doesn't it just kinda like there's just arbitrary sometimes it's tradition? but isn't a lot of tradition just kind of like arbitrary? So there's like this total weird thing. Like why do people do this certain custom and other people's don't do this certain custom? Why do the Asians take their shoes off when they go into their house? And Western people don't, but Mongolians don't. They keep their shoes on when they go in the house. So it's all totally arbitrary. This whole planet, this whole thing is just like why you believe something or how it is in its way and the way you think that it is. When you really look at it, it's just a reflection of this arbitrary reflection of some of the things that you've been taught or told in your life. And of course, you have some value and opinion to that. But 
it's still arbitrary. It's totally <laughs> arbitrary. This planet just shows it time and time and time again. Sounds like that might have um, loosened up your thinking about things. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, if you, because when you're traveling, since you're asking about traveling abroad and being in different places, like you do get frustrated. Like you're watching these experiences unfold in front of you where it's like, that isn't really the necessary, the uh, baking a cake way of doing something. When you bake a cake, you have to follow a certain procedure in order to get the cake to be, you know, you add the flour when you add it, you add the egg, you whip the egg, you do this stuff, you add this stuff, you bake it at this, don't open the, the you know, that's baking a cake. And you think that like building a, like a skyscraper, you know, you'd start at the bottom and then work your way up. Well, in Asia, they don't. They build the scaffolding and then they start at the top and they work their way down. And you're kind of like, I don't really, you know, it can be frustrating. That isn't an interpersonal, <laughs> that's not a personal frustration that happens when you're traveling or seeing things like that, but it's certainly arbitrary. They obviously have buildings. They're obvious skyscrapers. One of the largest buildings in the world is in Taiwan. And they started from the top. Well, what's uh, the same everywhere you go? Like you said that there's a lot of arbitrary stuff mm-hmm. that you see that doesn't make any sense. What does make sense? And, and what, what is universal? <laughs> um, laughter. That one is yeah. universal. It's go. really weird. Um, obviously, there's certain like tones and things like that and certain things that are culturally funny like i remember being in a lot of uh movie theaters in asia with um you know all all taiwanese audience or all chinese audience and uh, this would be a western movie you know say you know any movie like you know just a major blockbuster that made it overseas and of course me and my three foreign friends we would all laugh and the chinese would be quiet and then at other times, the whole entire room would explode in laughter. And we had no idea what they were laughing at. That must have been surreal. It's, amaz- it's an amazing experience. It, hmm. you know, it plays all of those things. You know, they're still laughing and having this. So sometimes the humor totally interacts. And at other times, people find humor in different ways, which is, goes back to the arbitrary. Hmm. Why you would think something is funny. It was amazing. It happened all the time. And that's the, the beauty of to travel. That's the, that's the art that you see. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to escape from the rat race? Oh, that's a... That is a very, very large topic right there. Because every person is an individual, and in every single situation, it pertains specifically to their specific situation. So a lot of advice of saying, oh, I would do this, 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 and this, may not necessarily be applicable advice or you know, good advice to another person. So okay, let's say I signed the waiver. Sign the waiver. How did you get out of the rat race? How did I get what out of the rat race? What do you do to, get to avoid because it? Because I realized that I didn't want to do something to make money. I wanted money to make money. Hmm. I wanted money to make money for me instead of me actually having to show up somewhere to get this rather easy thing to get, but really difficult thing to hang on to. That's what money is. It's really easy to get. We can all go out and get a ton of money, but like save it or keep it or have it or invest it. These are the things that are 
that's the hard part of the coin. The good side of the coin, it's easy to get. Bad side of the coin, hard to keep. And we all understand what we're talking about. I mean, it's really difficult. So for me, I just couldn't, I couldn't really, I mean, I was in the dead end, you know, work experience. I was going to say Yob, but then I'd have to explain <laughs> the Fonzie reference. I, I cannot say, I don't like to say that word. Would you guys want to say that word? Job. Yeah. Job, yeah. Sure. It's called a Yob. Yeah. I don't really like those things. Um, I don't necessarily dislike work. I kind of dislike hard work, but I mean, you know, work is work and it's fun, but a Yob, there's no quicker way to spiral downward, in my opinion, into redundancy, which is what I think causes um, complacency and then causes a whole bunch of mental issues that go along with that because you're not really doing what you want to do. You're kind of like living your life for another thing. So that's what I think the rat race is. When you figure out how to get out of the rat race by living your life for you. Would you say that's one of the things that's driven you to do all the things you've done as far as the traveling and the learning of different languages and you know, saving and spending it to get into different unique places in the world? Absolutely. Yeah, that um, definitely is a major role in that. It's certainly a, it's a guiding factor. It helps the, the needle stay true north, keeping that. Because the opposite or the other thing for it is, you know, I just, I recently went to New York and we walked around the Manhattan area and it was on the weekend and I was looking at all of the, they have these cool little, um, you know, the roach wagons. They have a lot of Indian food in the roach wagon. And I've never seen that before. And it was like lists. I was like, wow, this is totally great. And I was walking around and my friend was saying, there's nobody here because it's Sunday. We were walking down through it to get to the Statue of Liberty. And uh, are they the same as the, like the, the food trucks that we have here or are they, they more like lo-fi kind of just... No, they're the same food truck, but I've never seen it in the... Like that area is saturated with Indian food truck. Okay. And I wish I was hungry because I would have gotten an Indian food. It looks so good, Satch. I swear. Yeah, like, really I, good, I, huh? I, When I saw it, I immediately went, out of all the people that I know, <laughs> remind yourself you, to tell you, Satch sure, that sure. they have his little, <laughs> little Indian roti card. Like, then it was this lists. Of food. Wow, that's and amazing. I, and, but that area, the whole point of that and the reason why those roach wagons were there was that area on Monday through Friday is the iconic idea of wearing the suit and tie monkey suit to, and this whole section of the planet gets inundated with population and, you know, sky rises everywhere and things like that. And that to me, that's cool if you want to do those sort of things, but... I just, for me, that wasn't the way to go. I just couldn't do it because it just seemed confining. It seemed small. It mm. seemed like I had something. It's not like I don't understand these ideas. I just don't think they're necessary in the way that we think that they are necessary. I think there's better ways to do things almost every time. Makes sense. Well, since you mentioned food, where do the best foods, in your opinion, exist? You mean like if I have to be stuck somewhere for the rest of my life and I can't go anywhere? Right, right. The what deserted island for? question. If you were on a deserted island, Satch, what five survival items would you take? I'd take Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only my, the survival be, you he'd need. He'd be my first <laughs> survival <laughs> item. Better than a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> yeah. So um, I get this question asked a lot also. And for me, it has to be Southeast Asia. 
hmm. like Thai noodles and fresh, uh, you know, bean sprout, mint, Vietnamese egg roll with that weird, yummy, delicious sauce that's so delicious and they never give you enough of it and you have to have it for more. <laughs> that's that, that peanut that, sauce? Yeah, no, that would be the Thai stuff. The Vietnamese oh. have the that little clear one with like the chili. Oh, oh, it's like yeah. rice vinegar. It's like a rice vinegar yeah, thing, yeah. and it's just—it's oh. sweet, but it, it's super sweet, but it's not sweet because it's made from vinegar and things like that. You know, it's like, it's that like Southeast Asia pho, Cambodian food, mm. all that. Like I could handle that because it's the massive variety. Well, you know, I I remember you were gone, I think, or something like that, and I remember asking Carlos. I mean, because I I I. I'm looking at you right now, and I also remember what you used to look like. You had big, huge dreadlocks, so you mm-hmm. got this big, you know, sort of, you know, Scottish-Irish-looking guy with dreadlocks and a beard and all mm-hmm. that. And I asked Carlos, I said, did Seamus, you know, ever, ever talk about, you know, how, how did they view him when he was living in Taiwan, you know, like, or when he's walking around China, <laughs> and he tells me, oh, they loved him. He was famous. They called yeah. him the Shizhi, the lion. Yeah. Tell us Shizhi, about that. Shizhi means lion in Chinese. Well, I mean... Taiwan is a magical place, and it's probably, at least in my time, it was probably the most magical place. I can't say how it is now. It's been a long time since I've been there. I know that in the past, before my time there, um, it was even more magical because I would listen to all these people that went there in like the 1980s or something like that, and they would say, this place is amazing. Like, um, for example, I drove around on a scooter with no license or no insurance. And no one cared. (laughs) No one gave... I've heard um, a friend of a friend told me a story where they were in the bar. It was him, a foreign male, um, and two Chinese, Taiwanese female. One was his girlfriend. They had been drinking. They wanted to go home. They got on the motorcycle, all three of them, because that's very common. And uh, they drove home. And on the way home, they got stuck at a checkpoint where the police said that this was extremely dangerous, that you'd been drinking, and that it's um, dangerous that you have these people on the motorcycle with you. So he took one of the girls off and escorted him home on his motorcycle. So he gave him a police escort. That's the magic and beauty of Taiwan. Wow. So um, when you're walking around in that sort of environment, it's amazing. I was there for maybe a week and I ended up in a parade. (laughs) Just right off the bat, boom, I get to Taiwan, two or three days go by, this person comes up to me and asks me if I want to be in a parade. Of course, why would you not, right? (laughs) Why would you not do these things? So when people come up and ask you if you want to be in a commercial or if you want to do, you know, will you do this thing, that thing, or you're, you you know, everybody sees these commercials. And then, of course, there is only one of you. There's very few foreigners in Taiwan that are uh, Western by any means. They have a lot of Korean and Indonesian and things like that. But so basically, you get on, you get in a parade, you get on TV in a commercial or two. And uh, the next thing you know, you're, you know, the cat's pajamas walking around Taiwan (laughs) because they all, there's only, oh, I saw that guy on TV. And they come up and talk to you. It took. I had to leave an extra half hour to go to school because between where my apartment was and where my school was, I would get accosted by Chinese. 
So you were in some commercials and things like that, weren't you? In Taiwan, you? yeah. I was yeah. in a telecommunications commercial, and uh, the other one was a bank commercial, and that was the one that propelled me to stardom. Wow, the yeah, bank commercial. The bank commercial. I'm curious, did they pay you for this? Or yeah, you I just paid, did that? paid work. You got paid? Paid wow. work, yeah. And do you still have those videos? I, I wonder no, if they're I, this, on YouTube I, or something. I didn't have them then. Yeah. So I yeah. don't have them now. There's a lot of work like that. A lot of, I guess, what people will call art. There's a lot of art that I've done in Asia that I don't have any, you know, I don't have any record of it. Hmm. Well, where to next? I mean, what's, do you have any plans for your next conquest? Mongolia. I would like to return to Mongolia. Mongolia is a beautiful place. I want to invite you guys if you want to do it. The plan is to find a uh, stable that teaches horse archery so we can go and ride horses and shoot bows from the back of these wonderful, fun things, and then take those horses and go off and ride around the countryside of Mongolia and then return for their uh, festival, Natam, which is in June 14th, 15th, and 16th. And it's three days of where everybody comes to the capital and they do uh, like a Mongolian wrestling and archery and horse racing and stuff like that. We won't be doing that because we've already done that. Oh, I we'll see. We'll be sitting in the stands uh, <laughs> consuming arag and mm. um, watching the show. And if you're not familiar with what arag is, it's fermented mare's milk. Oh. Fermented horse milk. Interesting. Yes. It tastes like beer and uh, what's that stuff called? It's a butter something. And it's like, it's a milk product. Buttermilk? Thank you. Oh, so it's like beer and buttermilk? It's like if you took a beer and mixed it with buttermilk, that's what arag tastes like. So it's Hmm. sour. It's horrifically sour. Sour. And (laughs) and is it... it, um, Like beer and butter. Carbonated? Uh Uh-huh. It's fermented. It's a fermented, alcoholic beverage. How they make it is they have this this, uh, arag vat. It's a big jar. And basically, I think um, a month or two before Natam, they go out and start milking the mare, the female horse, and they just dump it into this jar, put the lid on it, and then day by day by day by day goes by, they just keep adding more and more and more and more and more, and as the days progress, it sours and turns and ferments, but they keep adding fresh Hmm. until they fill the jug up, and then you go and you get the little ladle and you scoop it and you drink it, and it's horrible. Hmm. And we're going to drink this. And we're going to drink it. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> we'll be like Mongolians. I might actually in uh, actually compete in Ooh. wrestling. I'll, I'll wrestle the Mongolians. That'd be cool. Super fun. If I could do it, I'll wow. do it. I'll wrestle the Mongolians. They're large Asians. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Extremely large Asians. authenticity show where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health creativity and the quest for excellence your hosts are carlos casados and satch purcell next up seamus shares his world traveler perspective on the united states beatboxes with satch 
and tells a story about that time he got conscripted into the Indian Army. Okay, Seamus, so as a world traveler, as a person who spent many years in other countries, I'm curious what you love about this country. What would you love about the United, the United States? States? Yeah. Oh. What do I love about the United States? Well, first of all, I agree with the Chinese in the fact that they call it beautiful country. They literally call it Mei Guo. Mei means beautiful and Guo means country. It literally is one of the most beautiful places on this planet. I mean, and the biodiversity is amazing and there are more lethal animals and you are more likely to be killed by animal and animal i mean by like spiders and things like that in north america than any other where place on the planet we have more dangerous species in north america which i think hmm. is riveting wow it's an amazing reason why um so you know the geography and the geology and the, the climates. This place has everything. The United States has everything, as far as wanting to travel around and see stuff. You know, mm. some places like you know they don't have a desert, but the United States has a desert. Some places like in Taiwan, they've never seen snow. They have snow. They have a mountain called Jade Mountain, which is taller than Mount Fuji, but the Taiwanese. They don't go there. They don't see it. They don't experience it. So here in the United States, I think if you are of reasonable economic um, household level, you know, mm -hmm. you get to experience snow. You get to see deserts. You get to go swim in the oceans. You get to do all of these fun, natural, beautiful things that the United States has. It's amazing. Rivers. Wow. I mean, there's, the, you know, it's just amazing. Nice. As far as the beauty of this place goes, there's nothing better than the United States. Really? Well, maybe Taiwan, because it is called Formosa, and that means beautiful in Portuguese. And it is a beautiful country, but it doesn't have all of the biodiversity. Um, you were asking me what I loved about it, right? Not yeah, what I yeah. Okay. What do you love about the U.S.? Well, maybe that's, maybe that's the next question, huh? Okay. The dislike? So what do you dislike about the U.S.? The complaining. Oh. There's so much whining. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Why the whining? It's the proverbial first world problem. That's a first world problem. It's like, are you kidding me? People around this planet still to this day, and I don't care what you hear, if you could take, you know, Tuntunka out of the African village and say, hey, you want to go to the United States? He would drop everything, including his knees, and cry and hold your waist and say, please, I would love to go. And, you know, here you are, like, in this place, you don't appreciate it at all. You have no experience to give you what it would be like to not live here, that you just complain help, help people whine. Help people understand. Like, what, what are some examples of things that, like, maybe in the other countries you've been to, no big deal here, people are complaining? Well, there's, there's sewage here. That's awesome. <laughs> Most of the world is really dirty and stinky and nasty. And this place is a paradise. 
There's no... You mean sewage management? Sewage management, yeah. I was going to say, there's sewage everywhere. Well, the sewage, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thing, you know, yeah, I, I was being mean, literal. We, we don't have open sewers. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff like that. we've got a way of dealing with the sewage. Wasn't it you who told me that a friend of theirs went to India and fell into like a sewer vat and then like they came back to this country and they died mysteriously a that month was, later? That was, that was you? That was me that told you that story. There right. you go. There you go. I mean... You fell into an open sewer and... Think about that appreciation, yeah. Mr. Whiny, complainy person. Yeah, <laughs> Think, be thankful that you don't fall into an open sewage vat. Yeah, that is apparently quite common throughout the rest of the world. I mean, it's rough. The world is very rough. Yeah, but we are living in like the smoothest, the smoothest stone <laughs> on this planet <laughs> is like in this country and a lot of the other you know the proverbial first world countries. I don't know if that's politically correct to say anymore. They're called lesser developed and more developed or any of that yeah. sort of thing. But you know what I'm talking about. There's places where I know it's rough, you know. Um, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama's wife, was went to Africa. You read this in his book. I don't know if any of you have ever read any of these people's books, but they have them. So she was saying how awesome it was to be in the United States because... You know, she's a lawyer and she has this opportunity and she was talking to these people in Africa from, you know, her husband's lineage, you know, relatives and things like that. And, you know, she's like, well, why don't you open a business? And the, the reply was, I don't have enough money to bribe the government official to open a business. Mm. And when you think about we're in an election year, you think about politics. Does anybody think about things like that? I mean, do you have any appreciation for what you're looking at here? This is the thing that I dislike the most. They have no appreciation, so they complain. How would you like to have to bribe a government official just so you could buy a house, just so you could open a business, just so you could buy a car? I mean, think of this. There's so much privilege here, even when it gets tight in the draconian ways that it does. And we all know what we're talking about. There's a lot of laws and rules that are coming out here in California that I completely disagree upon. But still, I don't have to bribe a government official hmm. like I have to in the Ukraine, for instance, or Russia. <laughs> These are the things that, you know. So all this travel uh, to places that you love and new experiences has also improved or given you appreciation for the place that you were born to. Oh, I, lo I love it here. Oh my gosh, it is so smooth. Like I said, it's the smooth spot on the earth. It's super easy. You know, I mean, you can, you can, I'm specifically here in Southern California, it's completely blessed. I mean, if I want to have any piece of culture on this planet, I can. If I want to have a Vietnamese breakfast and then go have an Italian lunch and then a, uh, you know, French dinner, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't even have to go five miles. I can just, it's like right down the street, you know, the Argentinian restaurant is right next to the Chinese restaurant. It's like, and that's just, just the food experience of it. You know, they have little, little cities, like little, little Italy, <laughs> little Italy, little Italy, little Italy, little Italy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, you know, little Chinatown or Chinatown or something like that. There's nothing like that elsewhere in the world. They don't allow people to conjugate. In, in, they don't allow foreigners to have a section. You know, they don't allow stuff. I was listening to a, a friend of mine who was Norwegian, and he was saying that, oh, yeah, above, above this city, if you're a Jew, you don't go because they just kill you. 
I'm like, wow, that's, that's Norway? <laughs> hmm. Ah, okay. Hmm. You know, perspective. Get some perspective, America. Perspective. Be grateful, America. I would love to take all of these people and um, give them some kind of uh, tranquilizer that makes them sleep and then wake them up in some other part of, uh, of the world. Without any passport and without any money. Can we film it? That's, my, that's the plan. The plan is to <laughs> film it from afar and bug them, like wire them. We want to wire them, obviously, because if it gets really bad, you would interject. But just let these people who are these, you know, the habitual complainer, nothing's ever good for them. Pull a Darren Brown on them. Pull a Darren Brown on them. I mean, come on, you know. But take them and put them in, you know, some backwater country or backwater place. And, you know, how would you like to wake up in, in central India? You're just on the corner. You know, all of a sudden you wake up and you're in central <laughs> India. <laughs> Nobody, Oregon, you know, all this crazy stuff happened to you. And the people, you have no idea what happened. And you have to go through that journey. You know, that uh, there was that movie with um, um, Michael Douglas where he was the billionaire. Oh, The and Game. Then, the Game. And then at the end of it, it was like, you know, I was kidnapped and drugged and left for dead in Mexico. And all I got was this lousy shirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those experiences. I wish that as human beings, we could find a way to have a um, institution that would give these experiences to people. I concur. Because I think it would be mm-hmm. a lot better planet. Satch, do you concur? I concur. You know, I've always said that... Um, Everybody should go to India. I agree. <laughs> totally. Oh, everybody. On Every person. Samuel Clemens agrees. Samuel Clemens. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Mark Twain. <laughs> so I'm curious about. Um, your role models growing up. So if you if you were to go back, like, yeah, when you were My a kid, like, models. what was important to you as a kid and, and who were the kinds of either real people or superheroes or mythical mm-hmm. people or people in your family? I don't know. I'm just opening it up for you to share if there's anything, anyone that you... Um, okay, well, you asked. Yes. Okay. First of all, um, going as far back as I can and having... Uh, some of the most earliest contact with it, with these these people, right? My role models. And then having them in my mind through my whole life, even when they're not around. Because like like I was saying, the Indian truck in New York, I thought of Satch. Mm. So that's what I mean by when they're not Mm. around. You see something or hear something or understand something and it reminds you of somebody that you know and sometimes their consciousness interacts with you and you might actually not do the action that you were doing because all of a sudden you hear this little, uh, well, I don't think Satch would really agree with me on that. So maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh yeah. You get the inner counsel. <laughs> yeah. The inner counsel, but in. not necessarily from my own perspective. I'm actually seeing that. So one of the most, and still to this day, and I didn't appreciate it until I left and traveled the world. Hmm. Uh, one of the most influential role models on this planet is you, Carlos. Me? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I've told you this before, but I don't think it, you really understood what I was saying. Um, it dawned on me when I was in, we went to go to the uh, monkey temple in India. And uh, India, like we were talking about, is a, is a rough place. Mm. And uh, you have all your preconceived notions when you travel. And me being more of an expert in the field of Asia, which is what I have uh, university degrees in and things like that, I uh, had my own idea. And it wasn't like that. And there wasn't a lot of things that were happening in India and things like that. And um, mostly pertaining to the word spiritual or spiritual people. Mm. Or we often think that people live in other places. And we, we read like the, uh, you know, the I Ching. And so, the, oh, the Chinese, they think like that. That's not how they actually live their life. <laughs> we read the Tao Te Ching and all these ancient scrolls and all these texts of all of these you know, we, we uh, romanticize the, the, you know, the Orient, for instance, uh, but it could be anywhere. It doesn't really matter. People, you know, romanticize about Africa or something. And uh, so in India, I didn't really have any of that spiritual awakening that I thought would rush into me. What I, well, it was a different awakening. It was a, a lot of trauma, <laughs> actually, <laughs> and a lot of just craziness and a lot of me going, why, why would you guys do it that way? Are you kidding me? That arbitrary. This is where I learned arbitrary. Mm. India taught me arbitrary. And what's that smell? I, in India, you never know. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> so um, I, we went to this monkey temple, and on the way to the monkey temple, um, instead of involving myself with one of the uh, haggalers, I uh, was walking with my friend. Mm. And of course, we got lost. But since I don't really care where I'm at, I didn't really get lost. So I ended up climbing up the backside of this monkey temple. And on the backside was this little uh, little temple with a sadhu. And a sadhu is just uh, like a holy man. He just kind of doesn't really have a lot of worldly possessions. And my friend spoke Nepalese. My Nepalese wasn't so good. And... We were just hanging out in his temple and he came home. We were like hanging out in his house because it was a temple. <laughs> and he came home and we're like, hey, what's up? He's like, this is my house. And he wasn't like, this is my house. He was like, this is my house. Welcome. You know, um, which is the kindness that you, like I keep telling you, people are really kind. I have a lot of foreigners that come to America and are amazed how friendly Americans are, believe it or not. So he just was nice and we were talking with him and stuff. And um, he was the only true spiritual holy man that I ever met in most of my early on travels. Wow. And uh, as I was sitting there talking with him, I, of course, thought of you. And he said, the reason why was he said something that you said to me when I was like 21. <laughs> years and years and years before, I heard this wisdom that this great sadhu, he wasn't anything, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like, oh, my followers, look at me. He just was this holy, chilly dude who was just, this is, I don't even want any of that. I just want to hang out at my temple and take care of this temple. And I get food when I get food. And I have shelter when I have shelter. And I have warmth when I have warmth. And if it's raining, someone will give me a blanket. But he said something, and I don't remember what it was. But I was like, Carlos told me that 15 years ago. And then all these other things that happened too, like throughout my life. I Wait a minute. I know this already. Why? You've said it to me before. <laughs> it happens all the time because I, I have a really good memory and I hear him and they like, well, you know this, Seamus, because I told you this when you were 18. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like these weird things. So you are one of my like most amazing role models that like because I've never met another person who is as spiritually evolved as you. Like literally, like if you want to talk to Carlos about Tai Chi and have him show you his ideas of Tai Chi, he can actually explain it. A lot of people can't explain things, but Carlos will sit there and take the time and talk to you about it. Or if you want to talk to him about any topic, actually, there's no topic that I've never asked him that he did not have an answer for. Oh, they're there. They're there, <laughs> obviously. They exist. Right? And he tries to do that with me sometimes, but I make him give me my answer. So you are one of the most influential role models that ever, and you take like the highest tier because top notch because wow. like literally seriously and then you satch what yes get out of here really you don't notice <laughs> you don't notice mm. the person who taught me to beatbox <laughs> without ever teaching me how to beatbox because it goes oh, back yeah. to that time when we were in seventh grade eighth grade or something like that mm -hmm. where we'd hang out in those you know the freestyle circle or something mm -hmm. and then satch would and I was like, hey, if that chump can do it, so can I. That's right. And so a lot of the weird noises and odd, uh, you know, interactions of nature and sound and stuff, they come from you. Oh, okay. That is where I know this is a fact. You taught me how to beatbox and do that sort of thing. And you've been making noises ever and since. And I've been, you know... Best Kobayashi Meru. My best Kobayashi Meru, the unbeatable circumstance that I beat. I was on this train in India and I was in the compartment. If you guys have been on the train in India, you guys know what this is all about. You're kind of stuck in these compartments with these other people. And there were two other people. There were three other people in there. One of them was a Sikh. And because they don't shave their beards and cut their hair, um, they're really nice people to me because you're kind of stuck in this little thing and like uh, everywhere i went in india the awesome people were the sikhs they treated they just have a better social economic system i have also had that experience yeah they're just yeah. nice people the sikhs are really nice i mean i ne they never tried to i of course i didn't go to amritsa in the center of the sikh area the punjab um but it might be a bit different there because everywhere you go there's the you know the shyster but every time I was outside, anytime I ever interacted with the Sikhs, they were always really nice people. So th these three gentlemen were sharing food with me and I was talking with them and I was chatting with them. And, you know, I can do that weird, odd Indian accent. 
and these sort of things. And they were really impressed with me in a lot of weird, odd ways. Well, it turned out that the Sikh was actually a sergeant in the military. And the next guy was like a lieutenant. And then their other friend was a colonel. You have to understand things about the world. Like a colonel in the military in another part of the world, like a third world country, is, you know, he's like a despot. He's a ruler. Like that, that's like whatever he wants, he gets. He's a colonel. They are in charge of anything at all times, anywhere you go. If there's like a military presence, he's the guy. Like, and he has his own little serfdom and all that sort of stuff. So I was writing from, um, I was writing from Varanasi somewhere and they stopped. And they basically wanted me to go onto the Indian base dressed up as a Punjab because he was in charge of some kind of like secret service or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted me to test their soldiers out and see which one of them could actually figure out that I was a foreigner. And I didn't want to because why would I want to do that? But yeah, what if they shot you? He's yeah. a colonel. That's and, what I was thinking. Yeah, and you can't really, like, I had no choice, basically. He was a colonel. It was, you know, like, something bad would happen right. to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I got, like, I, I call it, quote, you can't see me, but I'm quoting, recruited into the Indian Army for okay. a short <laughs> period of time. You guys oh don't know God. this story because I just don't really tell this story that often. Um, and I basically, like walked around an Indian military base and like was odd to people and did weird things. And the cool thing about being in India and speaking English with an Indian accent is India is so diverse. They have like 16 national languages or something like that, that everybody just communicates in English. So you don't really have a lot of issues that you would actually think like because my my hindi is okay and my you know the back at back then it was even better um but basically i was like this little espionage thing that i had to report to this colonel every day and tell him who found me out <laughs> and who didn't and you know how you long know, did this go on it was like a week but the kobayashi maru was getting out of that situation i just wow. bailed I, f I figured a way out because they were gonna like you know, the colonel, lo they loved me there. We mm -hmm. would have, you know, would hang out at night and talk and do all of these, like, you know, things and just hang out in the on the army base. And I was like, I'm going to get stuck here forever. Like, I can't leave. Like, they're not going to let me. How do you, how do you, ex how do you, like, breaking into an army base? Yeah. But breaking out of an army base? Difficult. So I basically timed it so that I could actually just jump on the train. I figured out the train schedule. And I could make it to the train depot and get on the train and do that last second thing where you jump on the train and the, as the train's already leaving. Well, that's how I got out. That is amazing. And that, that is my Kobayashi Maru, the unbeatable scenario wow. that I beat. Nice. That's great. Now, well, what is a Uyghur? And did you ever impersonate one? Um, loosely, a Uyghur is a person from um, Xinjiang, which is the province in China, which is... Um, north of tibet so if you look at a map and you see tibet and you go north that's the xinjiang region they um they're basically descendants the people of turkey way 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 back when i don't know the date they basically migrated up into russia above china and then the mongolians pushed them out and pushed them into the center that was now known as xinjiang so there are a lot of um 
oddly enough, it's a large Muslim population. So there's a lot of people don't know this. China has a large Muslim population. And oddly enough, there are really blonde-haired, blue-eyed Chinese people. They, you know, they, they're Caucasian. They're, they're from, you know, originally descendants from Turkey. So when I was in China, because I speak enough Chinese, but I have an accent and I'm a foreigner and I'm not naturally born and some words I don't know and things like that, when I would hang out in line or something like that to get onto something, I would casually strike up a conversation with the person next to me and they would ask me where I was from. And instead of saying America, I would tell them that I was a Uyghur. Then I told them I was Chinese. Hmm. And of course, they believed me because they had no idea. Remember, I had dreadlocks down to my waist and I was <laughs> <laughs> with a fiery red beard and, you know, Halloween crimsony orange hair and star, you know, bright yellow, red hair and stuff. <laughs> and they had, they, it just made perfect sense to them. They never really had any kind of, you know, doubt about it that I was a Uyghur person. And that's why my Chinese is weird or hmm. something like that. You know, hmm. it, was a, it was a plausible, just like when I was in India, I put a turban on my head and wore local clothes and I would tell people I was from the Punjab because there are people in the Punjab region that are extremely white with red beards. Like India has the darkest people on the planet and the whitest people on the planet. Hmm. And you can fall anywhere in there as long as you can put up enough, um, you know, local language, local custom, you know, really get into the role, have a good time with it. That's what's fun. That's the thing that if you're talking about travel that sucks about the two week travel where people go, oh, I went to the Taj Mahal and then I went to the thing, I saw the Great Wall of China. It was really fun. It was like two weeks. Now, you don't really get that unless you actually become a Chinese person. Well, how do you do that? That's that's the fun part. How are you an Indian person? How are you from the Punjab? You know, that happened. The, the Punjab thing happened because there were a lot of temples and places that are forbidden to go to as a foreigner. You're not allowed in. There's massive discrimination in India and like socially, economically, and all of these things, and I really wanted to experience all of the fun things that, you know, put a turban on my head, walk through the door. It's <laughs> <laughs> all it takes, right? This and almost every single temple that I was in in India had a back door. So you could always go in through the back door without paying the outrageous price that they wanted to exploit you. Imagine, okay, you go to Disneyland, it costs, what, 100, 150 bucks, 125 bucks. Imagine paying... $350 to go to Disneyland because you're you. Right. Right. You know, people in Southern California, we can go to Disneyland for $100, but you came from Wisconsin. So it's $500 for you. Well, I wasn't really cool with that. So what would happen was I would sneak around the back and because the locals all would, they, they do laundry in their temples and stuff. That's like where they hang their laundry and stuff. It's really weird. Like what you think of a temple in India isn't really that. And we're talking more of like the local, not necessarily some of the more well-known ones, but there's a lot of local traffic. So I would just walk around the temple till I found the local entrance and then I'd walk in and then I'd look at all the f cool stuff. And then by then the security guard would catch me, you know, after maybe a half hour or so, because I snuck in and then he'd say, you have to leave. And then I would say, okay, but I've already seen everything. And then I'd leave through the front door because I didn't want to pay all that extra money. 
because I didn't think it was right. <laughs> so instead, I snuck in. Sounds like another Kobayashi Maru. It is a Kobayashi yeah. Maru. There's a lot of Kobayashi Marus in my life. you say your primary focus is now in life like in where, life yeah yeah where, where where are you focused well i like to think that i'm on and i like to think that i'm perpetuating the self-improvement program because mm. the self-improvement program is probably the most important thing so you know the old joke of you sleep right and take your vitamins and you know yoga in the morning and things like that those are the actual things that I joke about, but those are the things that I really hold dear on the internal level of keeping yourself mentally sharp, keeping your body, you know, in reasonable health. You know, um, I like to think that uh, whatever situation comes my way, I have enough mental fortitude um, and physical ability to handle the situation so that it will propel me into the spiritual side. Because hmm. that's basically what I think the mind and body connection is, is the catalyst to the next phase. So if the zombies are attacking, I should be able to run. <laughs> right? <laughs> I need to get out of there. I should be able to, you know, haul butt and move. Now, you know, do I have to do, you know, Olympic marathon running? No. But I have to be in reasonable enough shape to be actually make it. So that's like a physical thing. So that's I focus on that. We are here on this body. If you leave your body, you will be in a different spot. So you need to focus on your body and make sure that it's working properly. It's very important. As and then your mind is in there too. So you have to keep that crisp, like a iceberg lettuce being crushed open. That crisp sound. That's a great image. You have to keep the mind sharp, crisp. Body focused, mind crisp, and then that other thing just happens by itself. I don't even worry about it. That's my philosophy in life. It's the old Christian adage, although I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I really enjoy this concept of it, is first know the kingdom of God, then all other kingdoms are known to you. Keep the mind-body connection going well. You don't have to worry about the kingdom of God. It just flows. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.